after this session, um, we're going to have a little bit of some small group time again, but then we're actually going to come back in for some Q&A, and I want to give you a chance to ask me questions, whether that's about theology or community, discipleship, church, stuff we've already talked about, or anything you just want to have more conversations about. So be thinking about that, that we're going to come back in, and I've been like shouting at you for since last night. I want you to be like, hey, you said this thing, and it didn't make sense to me, or I, could you tell, talk about this a little bit more? This thing is going on, I don't understand. So keep that in mind as we're going through this next session as well. So we're going to talk a little bit about discipleship in the church, so community within the church. I told you guys last <coughs> night, um, my church in Grace Road, we run about 1,300 people on a weekend, which if you're doing your math, that's a lot of women. <laughs> Usually the church tends to be... Um, primarily more women than men anyways, even historically, but we see that at Grace Road, just a high number of women. And um, I met with someone recently who she sat down and she said, uh, I need accountability in this area. Can you be my accountability partner? And as much as I wanted to say yes, I had to say no, because if I, I told her, I was like, if I said yes to you, that means I'm saying yes to like 900 other women or 800 women and that gives me no rest. So we have some models in our church to help give that option for women. So I can say to her, I can't do that personally, but I can get you connected with people who can. Um, so one of the things we do is what we call our grow groups, which they are, they are discipleship groups in our church. So I'm going to explain them to you a little bit just so you can know what we do and how we practice community among women of all generations at the same time happening simultaneously around our city. Um, you were telling me about Baltimore, how there's like the center city and then all these kind of suburb areas around it. Grace Road is a regional church, so we have our center city church, which is right downtown in the heart of Rochester. So think old church that is actually a temp Baptist temple that was abandoned for about 80 years. And then in the 90s, it became a nightclub called Heaven, ironically. Um, and then it was abandoned again. And so when we took over the space, we were taking down like old dance cages <coughs> that were hanging from the ceiling and a, a, a bar back, like all sorts of things that we took out. And it has all the original stained glass from the original temple in the early 1900s. So it's, it's a really cool facility, but we're right downtown. So we have a really interesting crowd that mixes in with, we have a lot of homeless people who come into our church and mostly come just to charge their cell phones and get a cup of coffee, which is fine. We have a space for them to do that. And then the rest of our church is regional. So we have people driving in from 20, 30 minutes around the city, a full like ring that drive into the city for church and then go back to their neighborhood. So what we try to do is give people a way to connect with each other throughout the week um, and grow as believers in ways that they can't do on a Sunday morning. I tell the women at Grace Road, I want them to, to grow in their love for the Lord, but to grow in their love for each other. And those things can happen simultaneously. Um, I have an almost 10-year-old, she'll be 10 next week, and one of my dreams for her is that I want her to grow up in a church where she sees healthy women relationships, she sees healthy friendships, and that I could say to her, you could go to any one of these women, like pick, pick from the crowd, and I know that they're going to know the word, they're going to have solid theology, they're going to give you good counsel and advice, and I, I don't have to be your, your mom all the time because we're, you're being raised in a family, so I'm your mom physically, yes but you have spiritual mothers who are here and I can trust them. And so what we're trying to build is a community of women who I can trust personally, but so that across the board we can trust each other. So I can say, go talk to so-and-so. And I know so-and-so is going to give her solid theology. 
not going to say anything that I'm like, whoa, can, where did that come from? Like, we're all studying the same stuff. We're all learning the same stuff. Um, a few years ago, we used a parachurch organization for our discipleship group model, and it worked well for our women. And then in January of this year, we modified it a bit to fit our needs, and we launched our own discipleship group model. So I'm going to walk you through some of those things, those pieces of what we do. I really believe that discipleship can sound like a very intimidating big word, and so I don't want to lose you when I say discipleship and group model because some of you might already think like I'm too busy for that that sounds like a lot of work that sounds kind of scary I don't know what that means but in reality it's a lot like what you're doing here this weekend there's a quote that I love that says we're all just walking each other home and I just think it's a beautiful quote and I think that that's really what discipleship is it's us walking each other home and so that means walking alongside of each other it means telling each other, hey, maybe you shouldn't be carrying that baggage. It looks like it's not something you should be carrying. Let's leave that. It means noticing when someone is carrying a burden that seems too heavy and either helping them carry it or teaching them how to carry that thing. Um, it might be walking alongside someone and saying, let me remind you the way to go home. There's a way to get there. Let me remind you how to get there. It might mean telling someone, hey, that path that you're walking that looks like it's side by side with me is actually going to go a different way. And so we need to get you on the right path so that you are actually headed home. Basically the process of let me teach you how to get there. Let me show you. I have <clears throat> a lot of women, who come, especially young women, who come in and out of my house on a regular basis that I'm mentoring or just come by to, to be around my life. And um, not because I'm like anything special, just because they just want someone to help walk with them. And I had one girl come over at Christmas time last year and I was making a pine garland. I was like, you are welcome to come over, but you're gonna work. I'm gonna put you to work. She's like, all right, put me to work. And so we, she helped me make this pine garland. She helped me make bread for dinner that night. And, but as we're doing that, she's asking me questions about faith and theology. And we're talking about how to do these things well and what faithfulness looks like and what repentance looks like and some of her sins and how do we do this? and how do I find this? And all these conversations happening while we're weaving a garland and mixing dough. And that's discipleship. It's nothing very, it doesn't have to be this very big, like serious intellectual thing. While there are very serious intellectual things that happen, they happen while we're doing very ordinary, faithful things. So our groups, our grow groups meet in people's homes. They're gender specific. And we have groups of about 12 women who meet weekly. They have a commitment. They commit to being with each other for six weeks. We have a high call for commitment to say, hey, we want you to grow, but the only way you're going to grow is if you show up. And so we ask our women to commit for six weeks, and then they cycle through rotations. And most of them, honestly, have been in these groups now for years. They've been doing these groups, and they've built this community among the women of um, trust and faithfulness to each other. And we also ask for accountability for why you're not going to be there, which helps keep people in there because we say the accountability is in the why. So if someone says, hey, I'm not going to be a group tonight, someone might say, okay, uh, why? And then suddenly if they go, well, I've had, I had a long day, I'm really tired. Nine out of ten times the group's going to say, you should come. Come tired, lay down on my couch, put your hair up in a bun, you don't have to do any of the work, just show up. And we encourage women to show up. And there's obviously times when they can't and there's commitment things that happen. But we encourage showing up, just being there, even in 
all of your exhaustion. Some of the things we practice. We practice regular memorization of scripture. So this always freaks people out who come into our groups for the first time because they'll say, oh, I have a terrible memory. There's no way I can memorize scripture. Because then what we also tell them when they get there is, oh, yeah, and you have to recite it in front of everybody in the group, which then half the people are like, no, I'm not doing that. Um, but what we've seen, what I've seen personally, we have ages 18 to 80, literally, in our group. And some of the older women are like, Andrea, there is no way I can memorize scripture. And then I watch them memorize the entire book of James. And they say it beginning to end. And they're like, how did I do that? <laughs> like, that's because you are able to do it. And so we do it in small chunks. We memorize verses cumulatively. So we start with one verse and we add to it. This year we memorized the entire chapter of Hebrews 11. And so all of our groups now are saying Hebrews 11, beginning to end. We do this through songs. I write memory songs that I send out each week. And so they memorize the whole book in a song. So by the end, they can sing it or they can just say it. But song keeps things in our head. It's why we can hear words from a song from like 30 years ago and suddenly you know all of the words. You're like, I, I, don't, I don't even remember any of my friends at that age, but somehow I know all of the words to that song. It's because songs actually work as tools in our brain. It's a tool God's given us. So we redeem that tool that God's given us for his kingdom and we start putting in the word in our hearts. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What happens when we memorize scripture is that it isn't just on a page, but it starts to do work in our hearts. We're actually putting things in our hearts that the Spirit can draw on later when we're not sitting in front of our Bible and we're like, how am I supposed to deal with this situation? What am I supposed to say to this person? I'm really struggling right now. And because his word is living and really active and does a work within us, he can pull that out of us because it's in there. Now, if you don't put it in there, you can't pull it out. And so you could start thinking, well, I'm sure the Bible says something about, like, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Like, no, that's not <laughs> scripture. Like, that's not a verse, but that's what our mind tends to do. It wants to find something outside of itself to root. There must be something that I can have an answer for this. When we put scripture in there, suddenly you can start using scripture that the Lord has given you in situations. I can't tell you how many times I've heard from my women. Um, Andrea, I was in a conversation with someone this week, and she said something, and all of a sudden I remembered Hebrews this, or we memorized Romans, we memorized Romans 12, so Romans 12, whatever, and I knew it, and I just was able to say it, I kind of hummed it a little bit, but I knew the verse, I'm like, yeah, it's because you might not be thinking about it all day long, but because you put it in you, the Spirit can then draw it out in that moment. Um, we went through Romans 12 at our church. We do expositional preaching, which you guys do as well. So we did Romans 12, and our whole church worked on memorizing Romans 12 using those songs. And some of the ladies said, when Kevin started <coughs> teaching Romans, and people were like, because oh, everyone's singing the songs and memorizing it in their homes, and they're listening because we're getting the word in our hearts. Um, I struggle with anxiety, especially anxiety at night. It's just kind of one of those things that I really fight with, and it's like, you know, I'll lay down in bed and everything's great. And as soon as my head hits the pillow, my mind just goes. And for me, memorizing scripture has been battle against that. So I'll lay down in bed, and it, it works in a few different ways. I'll just start saying everything I can remember of James. James 1. James, a servant of God by the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes of the dispersion, greeting. Crown my joy, my brothers. And I just start saying it because I know my mind first is focused on something good, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, and focused on that. 
and it helps the rest of my brain quiet down. And I'm preaching the gospel to myself at the same time. It's like a dual purpose. The Lord is going to use it, and I can say the word knowing that it's not going to fail me. It's not going to fill me with lies. It's not going to confuse me, and it's not a bad thing to fall asleep to. <laughs> and so um, hiding the word in our hearts that we won't sin against him so we can get good stuff in there so that there's good that can come out is important. And I, like I said, I've seen women of all ages, and uh, we, we have some women who definitely struggle and will laugh because we call it like this one girl, her name is Sarah. She calls it the Sarah Revised Version because she'll be like, James, a ser- uh, he's a servant of God, of, of Jesus, um, and he preached to the 12 tribes who were dispersed, and he gave them <laughs> greetings. We're like, sure. Yeah, that was like, we, they, we get the general idea of what she's saying. Because like, what happens is, though, she's actually getting the word in her heart, and I know it's there, but she can't always just say it the way she wants to. But sometimes we'll have some who are like, they know it so well, and someone will say, like, and instead of the, and they're like, ah, the. And you're like, okay, thank you. Like, they're just they're on top of it, but it's because the word matters. And so it's, it's really fun, and it's everyone screws up, and we make mistakes, and, but it's a good way to learn and grow together. So we memorize the word together. Then what we do is we practice regular confession weekly of sin, and then we pray for one another. And this is done in a one-on-one relationship. So these women are assigned someone who they're going to pray with over the six-week time. And what they do, they come together to pray for one another. James 5.16 says to confess your sins and pray for one another. 1 John 1.19, confess your sins and he will be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so it's it's one thing to know that you've sinned, right? We, we know that we screw up constantly. And this isn't just like a one-time thing. Like our hearts can be in the trenches of sin and we're not even realizing that we're just kind of prone and wandering and just lingering around sin. Um, so we confess them regularly, things that are actually we're sinning in, but also things that, hey, I feel like I could really stumble in this area. This is a yellow flag. I'm seeing myself kind of wander into this temptation area. My thoughts are starting to think about this too much, and we talk about those things because we want to help each other be free of burdens that we shouldn't be carrying. And it's so interesting. I feel like every time someone confesses something that they're really scared to confess, whether that's like a sexual habit that they're embarrassed of or, or they slept with their boyfriend or something happens where they, they want, they've been thinking about their coworker about having an affair, things like that. As soon as they confess it, the power is almost gone from that sin. Like suddenly they can talk about it and it seems less enticing. It seems less desirable. It seems less beautiful. And now they're taking the power away from the darkness because it's in the light. And it's something that we can talk about. But the way that that works well is if we do it in an environment of one-on-one without that being a place of severe judgment. So we tell our women, when you confess your sins, this isn't the time for you to be like, well, you know you shouldn't be doing that. Like, well, no, we're here to confess because we know it's sin. So first, let's come with grace to each other. The Bible says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, not his, his furious anger or his disappointment in you or his, like, wagging finger. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And then scripture says, if a brother falls, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And so we see this really gentle, tender love of God responding to believers who know that they've sinned. And specifically believers who are convicted in those sins and saying, I know that this is a problem. 
I want to be free of this. And even saying, I don't know how. And so I would say to women, <coughs> say to me, I can do a whole lot more with, I want to want to be free of this thing. I don't really want to stop. And I don't really know how to be free of it. I can work with that versus the like blatant lying of like, oh yeah, I definitely want to be free of this. And then leave my office and go call your boyfriend who you're cheating on with your husband. Like, just tell me you don't want to stop talking to him. Let's start there. Um, I would rather work with your total and complete honesty than you telling me what you think I want to hear and then going and doing the opposite thing. And so we use confession as a place in our, in our groups <clears throat> as a place to kind of tackle those things together. What I encourage our women to do is when someone confesses something, help them get to the root. And so help them discover what that is. So if a woman says, um, I'm really struggling with lustful thoughts towards my coworker. Um, or let's, let's simplify it even more. Let's make it something that you guys might understand more. I'm really struggling with um, worrying about my future with God. Is he going to provide for me? Is he going to meet my needs? And so I don't want to worry anymore, and I feel like that my heart is starting to wander. So I might encourage our group members to say to each other, okay, where, what's under that? What's fueling that fear? Because that fear is rooted in something. Do you believe that God doesn't have good for you? Do you believe that he's not going to provide for you? Do you believe that if he brings suffering, that he doesn't love you through suffering? Are you scared of suffering? Like, let's talk about those things. Because we can talk about worry and fear and my future and my kid's future all day long, which we can deal with symptoms, right? But we want to go to the heart. We want to go to where is our belief not rooted in the gospel. And so if, if a girl says, um, I'm struggling with laziness. I've heard this one. I don't want to read my Bible. I actually don't even like want to take care of my body. I'm not working out. I'm, I don't really want to do this study. I don't want to read, like, I don't want to do any of it. I just feel apathetic. Okay, well, let's go to the root of that. When is the last time you felt like you saw the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of design of creation and working hard? Where did you start to believe that being lazy was going to bring you greater joy than being his? And so we start talking through those things and getting to the root of those things. Because really, these things are all things that we struggle with, but just the weeds show up in different ways. And I use the garden as an example a lot for discipleship because in my garden, I have to be constantly working it. I have to be weeding it consistently and weeding it to the point where I get to the root. Do any of you garden in here? Okay, so you know you have to get the actual root ball in order to get these weeds out. Otherwise, they're just going to keep growing up. And, you know, there's times you'll pull a weed here and, like, a plant over here starts moving, and you're like, what? Wait, that's connected to that plant? Oh, my gosh. And you just have to pull things up, and you realize that there's weeds that have just infiltrated your entire garden. And had you just dealt with it before they took over, it wouldn't have been, been as big of an issue. But you have to because they're going to destroy your plants if you don't do it. And so in the same way, we want to go to the root of our sins, because often when we start pulling at those, something else in our life is going to go wildly out of control. And we'll be like, oh my gosh, that was connected to that? I had no idea. I thought that was a totally separate issue. When in reality, they all have the same root of maybe unbelief or fear or doubt. So we want to root out those things and get rid of those things. <clears throat> and then replace it with truth and good things for our soil so that we're taking care of our hearts and taking care of our minds and our thoughts and all those things. 
We encourage during this time of confession that this isn't time to confess someone else's sin. <clears throat> so we're here to confess our sin, and we should be doing that. So when you're sitting down with someone saying, you know, I'm struggling with anger because my coworker, I'll tell you what she did. You're not going to believe what my coworker did. And you start rattling off your coworker's sins. Or, or my husband. I'm struggling with loving my husband because he's just a real idiot. And you're not going <laughs> to believe the things that he did. He didn't see that. I needed this, or he did this thing, and it was ridiculous. And we start listing everyone else's faults, and then suddenly our sin becomes a little more justified, but I'd like to be free of it because I want to be a good person. Well, no. It's our responsibility of how we respond to people who have sinned against us, right? We have to own our response. And so we'll say, you know, did your husband sin against you? Okay, what I want you to ask for during that prayer time is I'm struggling with loving my husband, and also with pride in thinking that I'm his Holy Spirit. Pride in thinking that it's my job to fix things in him. Pride in thinking that it's my job to embarrass him. Um, I struggle with self-sufficiency and pride thinking that I could just do this better if I didn't have to deal with him. Um, I'm struggling with thinking that I'm better than him and that really I don't ever sin against him and I think I'm blind to my own sin when I sin against him. Like let's own everything that is ours first before we start talking about someone else's sin. Rosaria Butterfield says, love the sinner, hate your own sin, which I love because the goal isn't I love them, but I hate their sin, so I'm going to tell you all about their sin. Like, no, love the sinner, hate your own sin, and that's what we do through confession. It's also not a time for gossip. We, we crack down on gossip pretty fiercely in church, um, in my church especially and in groups, um, where I want women to be a little afraid of gossiping. Um, so I have this rule that if you come to me and tell me something and I can't go to that person and ask them about it or use their name, um, I would rather you not tell me. Please don't burden me with information that's not mine to know. And uh, I've had people come to me and tell me things and I'm like, do you, are, do you want me to be a part of the solution? Do you want me to go talk to them? No, 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 please don't go talk to them. Okay, are you going to go talk to them? No, I'm not. They would never listen to me. Do I need to go to a pastor because they're unrepentant of this thing? No, 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 that's not what I'm saying at all. Okay, so why are you telling me? Like, what's the goal of this conversation? Yeah. Oh, I just, you know, I, um, I don't really know. And you see, like, the backpedaling. I'm like, okay, because I'm here to help bring a solution. And I've had people blow up my phone. I don't apologize for this. They blow up my phone. I can't believe you took that to the pastor when I was complaining about church. And, you know, I just, I thought the church would do a better job. I can't believe you took that to one of the pastors. <clears throat> I said, now I'm on staff. So I said, okay. First, I have a responsibility for member care. What were you hoping that I would do with that information? Well, I don't know. I don't know. All right. Do you, do you think that it was kind of me to hear of him from a member, I hate this thing in the church. So I go to the church and say, we have a member who's really unhappy and doesn't feel cared for and loved. How can we change this? And so a pastor reached out to you and said, I hear you're frustrated. How can we help care for you? And you got angry. But that was the thing you were complaining that no one was doing. Yeah. Okay. So do you want to stay like in that? Like, cause I'm not interested in staying there. So if that means you stop complaining to me, okay, so be it. Like, but know that I'm going to be a person of action. I'm not going to sit on information. So we want to cut down on gossip because gossip destroys relationships. <clears throat> it destroys the church. It destroys women because we think if we share someone else's junk, then maybe no one will actually notice ours. 
and then we can feel a little bit better about ourselves because at least it's not our problem that we have to deal with. So we want to own our sin, cut down on gossip, call someone out when they're gossiping. We can do it gently and say, I love you. Could, could you not share this with me if it's not something that I absolutely need to know? And usually that's a good gate to say, okay, yeah, she doesn't need to know all of this. Or don't tell me if you don't want me to actually do something about it. Or if you're not going to do something about it. We want to be people who are in the work of reconciliation and not division. So we spend time confessing sin, talking about where our hearts are wandering, where they're prone to wander. Then we spend time talking about where God has answered our prayers, or maybe in ways where he hasn't, and we're overly grateful for that he hasn't answered our prayers. And then we talk about things long-term that we really want to see God move in. And then we pray for each other. We spend time praying for one another, praying through these things. And there's women who get nervous about the idea of praying over another woman audibly because they get, I don't know what to say. And really, it doesn't matter because God's not looking for our perfect words. And so he can understand and we can take things to him and he'll listen. So they pray for one another during that time. And then we practice regular practical living of what we're learning each week. So we're studying scripture each week. And then we practice those things. <clears throat> Philippians 4.9 says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So we study scripture, big theological concepts, big ideas. And then we say, okay, how does this work out in our lives daily, day to day? Last week, um, was it uh, two weeks ago, we talked about Rahab. And um, at, I teach on Sunday nights at our church, and I'm teaching through different women of the Bible. So I taught on the life of Rahab and going through her story. And in that story, <clears throat> the angel of the Lord comes to Joshua, and Joshua says, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And the angel of the Lord says, No, because he's not for just Joshua. He has Rahab, but ultimately God is for God, right? So God's kingdom unites people who would seem to be in different camps under one kingdom. And so we had that, we talked about what does it look like when it's not us and them, when it's no longer, God, are you for them or are you for them? Are you for men or are you for women? Are you for Democrats or are you for Republicans? Are you for these people in the city or these people in the country? Like God says, no, I'm for God. And if you want to be with me, you can be with me. <coughs> so our practical application that week was think of people who you would say God would never be for someone in that camp. There's no way someone who thinks that, believes that, lives that way, that he could ever actually have one of his own there. Where do we, where, do, or where are those people that we would say, God, are you for us or are you for them? And would you be shocked if God says, no, I'm not for you or for them because I've got one of my own in that city. And so that was a practical application. Who is that person? And then what can you do this week to reach out to someone in that demographic or that belief system or economical system or political system? How can you cross a bridge to think, Maybe I don't understand everything about how God works. So how can you invite someone to your table, take someone out to coffee, maybe make a comment on Facebook that towards this person isn't divisive or encourage them in some way? Because we're not God, and we want to understand that he is. <clears throat> so we have practical applications of what it looks like to practice these beliefs. And we do that each week. So every week it's different. They have a weekly challenge. They do that thing. They come back together and say, that worked or it didn't work. One time we had, <clears throat> uh, 
we wanted to address kind of the, the sins that we use for comfort. So what do you do when you're feeling stressed? Do you eat? Do you overexercise? Do you sleep? Do you watch too much Netflix? And before you do that thing, when you're feeling stressed this week, text your prayer partner and say, and say these words, um, this week, instead of looking to the Lord, or right in this moment, instead of looking to the Lord, I really just want to eat a cookie. And tell your prayer partner that right then. And you might still go do that thing, but you need to confess it before you do it and acknowledge that in this moment, I'm actually looking to physical comfort before I go to spiritual comfort. So we do practical applications of things that we're learning so we can start to see how this actually works in our day-to-day lives. <clears throat> and then we practice regular community intentionality. So we have... We use our groups as member care. So we say to someone, if you want to be known at Grace Road, if you want meals when your baby is born, if you want someone to be visiting you at the hospital, we will try as a staff to help as much as possible, but we use our groups as a model for member care and intentionality. So we tell our groups, if you hear of someone saying, I'm struggling with this thing, I can't pay my bills. Um, I'm really busy, I haven't been able to go grocery shopping. It's the group's job to help meet the needs of that person. And so we want groups to be a place where they women are, feel cared for, they feel seen, they feel like their needs are heard, that they have deep friendship, people who are going to be there when things get tough. We have our groups who've bought someone groceries and have them delivered to her at the end of the day because in groups she said offhandedly, I've just been working so much that I, I just haven't had time to go grocery shopping. Well, we can help alleviate that for you. And we're going to buy you groceries and things like that. Very simple things where babies are born or attending funerals for family members because they don't have family in town, things like that. So we practice regular community intentionality in our groups. We practice what we call in our church the one another's. There are a hundred or more than a hundred one another's in scripture. Love one another, pray for one another. We'll talk about these things actually next session um, today. But the one another's and how we interact with one another, how scripture tells us to interact with one another. So we practice those things in our groups. And then last, well not last, but one of the big things, main things that we do is we practice the regular studying of the word. We look at the word and actually have a verse, hold up, let me see if I have because I didn't write it down. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much. Colossians 1. 25 through 29. This is Paul talking about his ministry to the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so we study the word because we want to teach one another the mystery of Christ, which was hidden for ages, but now we get to be the ones who understand it. We who are Gentiles, who weren't even originally in the family of God, who have been grafted in, the mystery that even Jeremiah and think of all the prophets who couldn't understand and couldn't see because it wasn't revealed, we get to see it. We see all of the pieces now. We have it all in Scripture, made known to us by the power of the Spirit revealed to us. We get to understand these things. And some of them will take us lifetimes to understand. You might hear a theological concept today, and you won't really understand it for 30 years. And then in 30 years, you'll realize that you've barely scratched the surface of what it means to understand 
that thing. That doesn't make you a poor or weak believer. That's just showing you. In fact, I've noticed with believers, the older we get, the less we realize we know, which is actually a sign of maturity. <laughs> so, you know, if you suddenly realize, I know very little, I think, about the kingdom of God, then I start to say, yes, I see you're growing in your faith. <laughs> because the, the diagram of understanding and really getting it all goes down as we grow in our faith, which is why we need faith. But I'm, I'm digressing. <clears throat> so we use that time when we study the word to encourage one another, to help one another reveal the mystery, to use, by the power of the Spirit, to study the Word together. And so we do that by going through different books of the Bible, or we'll study a, a book. <coughs> we did Tim Keller's book on prayer. We read through it together over 12 weeks, and we talked about it each week. How does this change my life? What does this mean? Right now, I'm teaching through women of the Bible, and so we're looking at a different woman each week. We're looking at her life. We're looking at it historically. Where does her timeline fall? What does it mean that this thing happened within her culture? Um, how did God interact with her? What do we understand about God based upon the way that he interacted with her? How does her life and story point to Christ? Where can we see Christ in her story? And then how does her story change the way we live today or affect our lives today? And so we'll look at that. We'll get together and discuss all of these things. Um, <clears throat> this week I'm teaching on Ruth. And so we'll go through Ruth. We'll talk about what it meant to be a Moabite woman coming into Bethlehem at that time. And so there might be some things that we don't understand, so we're going to unpack them. We're going to look at the history of the Moab and the Israelites and what does it look like in that racial tension between those two people. We're going to look at Ruth. We're going to talk about what she did and how she was faithful in very ordinary, simple things. The scripture says she happened to be in the fields of Boaz. And if you don't know the story of Ruth and Boaz, it's a really beautiful story. But she happened to be in the field. So then we'll ask the question, where have you happened to be that God actually used in your life for his glory? Because we don't happen to be anywhere. God uses wherever we are for his kingdom. We'll talk about those things. We'll talk about how can you live an ordinary, faithful life where you just do the simple things of making sure there's food on the table like Ruth did. And then trust God that he is weaving together a story that we can't see. And we'll kind of go through all of those pieces We'll take apart the scripture and look at it in, in kind of every different way we can for as much time as we have. And then we'll encourage one another with that. So we do memorization of scripture, confession of sin and prayer. We practice the regular working out of what we're learning. We practice regular community intentionality and regular studying of the word. And I reiterate these things to them. Every week, through actually send out a video, and I repeat the same things from every week because vision weeks. And so <coughs> you might come into it at the beginning of week one and be like, I'm so excited. And by week five, be like, why, why did I sign up for this? What is the point of this? This seems really kind of redundant and boring. But I'll just keep saying again, this is a good thing that you're doing. It's good to work the soil of your hearts. It's good to be faithful in, in very ordinary, basic things that you might not see fruit for, for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, but with the hope that ultimately that you become a church where women say, you can go to anyone. I trust. Lindsay can say, yeah, go talk to so-and-so, and she knows she's going to be solid. Like, I can, I can trust her, and same goes with anyone else that's coming in, that you would hope that it's a place where the women take the responsibility of discipling other women. And so we need women who are speaking into each other's lives and encouraging one another, calling out sin, and then responding well, being ones who help 
each other, walk each other home. We, we cannot do this alone. You can try to do it alone for a little bit. You're probably going to burn yourself out and get exhausted, or you'll end up becoming one of those Christians who thinks they're awesome and a rock star and really self-sufficient, which is also very dangerous because then we're not relying on Christ. And so we can either fall into, I can't do this, I give up, this is ridiculous stuff, I'm going to go do what I want, or pride and self-sufficiency. And we're meant to kind of walk this road in between, which says, only Christ. I want to mature. I want to grow. But I also know that I can't do that if I'm not doing this by the power of God. And so that's what our discipleship model looks like. I've seen it work in the way that there's a girl that I'm discipling, where then she took another girl, a younger girl in teen ministry under her arm. And so now I'm teaching her, but she's teaching her. And there's women who are teaching me, and I'm learning from women. So we've got this flow of discipleship happening where there's a chain of women who really are just linking arms because none of us are doing this on our own. We always say that if you're in the church, it's because you're, you've already recognized that you need Christ. So there's no need to try to impress anyone because we're all here because we needed someone to rescue us. So if you're rescued out of a dire situation, if you were drowning and someone rescued you, you don't start saying like, I'm such an awesome swimmer. Like I'm gonna go teach someone else how to swim. No, you're a terrible swimmer, which is why you need someone to rescue you from drowning. And so now that you're rescued, you can go help rescue someone else and teach them how to rescue someone else and how to live on the boat. And we start to do that. That's what discipleship looks like. And we hope that we mature and grow. So that would be my prayer for you as women as you interact with one another. And before we start talking about community in the homes and community in, in our home using hospitality as a tool that you would do that for one another and you would love one another well by discipling one another and walking each other home. So let me pray and then I have some things for you to think about. Father, I thank you for these women. I thank you that they're here, Lord, that clearly they love their church and they want to grow as women and they want to grow in friendship and love for one another. So Lord, I do pray that they would grow in love for one another, Lord, but that in that they would grow in their love you, Lord, that they would want to walk alongside of one another and encourage one another and bear one another's burdens and help each other confess sin and pray for one another. And Lord, as they do that, they would look to you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, Lord, that we can't do this without you. God, we need you to be continually redeeming and reconciling our hearts to you. So Lord, I pray that as they practice some of these things and look at some of these things this morning, that you would help them to know how to do this with one another and how to love one another well through the work of discipleship in their community. I thank you for all these things. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so I want you to spend some time on your own thinking through those different points if you're taking notes. Memorization of scripture, regular confession of sin and prayer for one another, practically living out what you're learning, community intentionality, and studying the word. In of those areas, where do you feel like you lack maturity? Where do you feel like you would struggle if you were dropped in a group today? You would struggle knowing how to do that thing well. Where do you see that you're not doing it at all and you should be doing? So ask yourself, am I doing these things with anyone? Is this happening? And then I want you to think about what it would look like if you started doing that with some of the women in your church. What would it look like if you operated that way? Do you feel like it would work? Do you feel like you could do it with someone? And then you're going to get together in your groups, and I want you to talk about this, talk about what it looks like. Lindsay, I don't know how much you want this time to be, like, discussion. You tell me, like, like practicing, practicing or? versus, like, discussion of it. <laughs>
Um, so probably let's let's talk about discussion. Mm -hmm. um, and let's talk about discussion right now. What we're hoping to do, I haven't shared this yet, but so we're hoping to move into this kind of model um, this fall with our Thursday night group. Um, so we would actually like break up into prayer partners and do the same structure that she's talking about. Um, and so, uh, and we'll do kind of the teaching, like it's going to be the same structure, but I haven't actually like matched people up yet into pairs because I don't know who is going to be attending and not attending. Mm -hmm. So my goal would be like, um, at the end of today, if you could just give me an idea or whenever today. Um, if you plan on being a part of our weekly Bible study, and then I'll kind of work to pair people up. So, um, if you want to do that at the, do you think, I don't know, what would you recommend? Do you guys want to match up and talk with each other? Mm -hmm. Or are you like, let's just chat in groups? Like right know. now? Or? Yeah, like. I mean, I don't want to, like, throw them in yeah. like they're like, what? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think and it might be important for people to articulate that place mm -hmm. that they need to work on before they get thrown into the working on, I'm not sure what it is yet. And, and also being willing to commit to each other. Yeah, that's a good point. So, yeah, so I would say, like, there let's discuss. Piece. Yeah. Yeah, because I was like, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, that's totally what it is. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I would say, like, let's talk about the idea, fears, like hopes, things like that. And then um, and then we'll move into that committed like area um, when we start meeting on Thursday. Yeah, the so. commitment is key. It helps those conversations because you feel safe. You know, this person's my person for the next six weeks. And there's also accountability that if this person leaves this conversation and goes tell someone else, there's gonna be <coughs> someone who sits down them and says, you sinned and that was wrong. Um, so it's a safe, protected space. So there is that value of the commitment that adds a, an accountability level to it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Not to say that you are all gossips. Uh -huh. I'm not trying to imply that at all. Like, Lindsay wasn't like, this, these women are gossips. Them <laughs> stop. Um, that's not at all what's happening. I just know the heart of those, these things, especially when you start sharing genuine, real sins and not just like, well, I just, you know, I would like, to, I'm stressed about my week. Like, no one's going to go gossip about you being stressed about your week. But if you're going to be sharing the deep stuff of your heart that you really aren't talking to anyone about and you finally are sharing it with a sister in the church, um, you want to know that that's someone who you can trust and that you can tell those things to. Um, and part of that is through the accountability of the commitment. So, mm -hmm. 